before they become clients, it's trying not to get them to focus on income generation. And you know, as the as the metric, as the only metric that matters. Because most of the time, what they don't recognize is that making money and keeping money are two different sets of skills. And they may possess one but not the other to you know or possess one at the detriment of the other. So usually the ones that are really, really hell bent on, no, I need to make more money, you know, I need you know, like I need to make an extra $500,000 a year. If you can't help me, I'm going to find someone else. Well, who isn't looking to make an extra $500,000 a year? I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's the thing. But if that's really all they're about, then they're probably not, they're probably not a good coaching client for me. Not that I'm saying that that's wrong, but that I'm not a growth, I'm not a sales growth coach, right? I'm not a revenue growth coach. I'm a, I'm really am a, a, you know, strategic coach from top down. I'm really more of a success coach than anything else. Once they become clients and they see about the vision, the vision infrastructure process method, they understand that probably the one that I have to battle with them a lot is their vision and challenging them on their vision for um, clarity and, um, and, and really depth that has nothing to do with their business. Heroes are an inspiring group of people, every one of them from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell, from the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what, I can fix that, I can help people, I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence so you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and today I am live on the line with Mark Dolfini. Mark, are you there? I am here. Awesome. Glad to have you here. I know we were talking just a few minutes ago before we got on the interview. Where are you calling in from today? From uh, a little little town of Lafayette, Indiana. <laughs> so for those of us who aren't greatest at, the greatest at geography, where is that in relation to Indianapolis? Um, just about an hour north um, as the crow flies from uh, from Indianapolis. So I could be downtown potentially, you know, watching a Colts game in about an hour, uh, you know, with a t- taking parking out of it if I wanted to. So it's not that far. So are you pretty Are you pretty close to the uh, the Great Lake that's up there? Um, so we're pretty much right between, uh, kind of almost halfway between Chicago and Indianapolis. So okay, we're cool. we're right in central Indiana. Nice. Um, so for my audience who's following around with our travels, my wife and I and our, our four kids are currently in central Florida and Kissimmee. Um, we're here for a little while uh, on our, our journeys and travels. We're on our way back over to uh, California at some point and then up, you know, eventually we'll get to Indiana because that's one of the last states on our map. So um, what I want to do before we get too far into this is I'm going to do a brief introduction for you. Um, so my audience who doesn't know you might get a, a little thing and we'll just drive right into your story. So I'll read my sure. notes over here 
Uh, Mark Delfini is a veteran of the U.S. Marines. Thank you for your service, by the way. Um, and author of three real estate books, most notably The Judge, A Landlord's Tale, which was released in summer of 2018. And your third book, The Time Wealthy Investor 2.0, which was released January 2019 and teaches the exclusive VIP method of how to create real estate business focused on life output. Um, so what I want to have you start off with, Mark, is what is it that you're known for and what do you do for people? Well, that's a little bit of a dangerous question in terms of what I'm known for, because sarcasm was what I was known for. That was a, that, if that could be a superpower, if I could figure out how to make money at that, I would, I wouldn't, I would probably already change my name to a symbol. So, uh, <laughs> but, but no, I, I guess what I'm known for is really, um, I, I guess I've been described as a life coach for landlords. And I thought that that was a really interesting, interesting thing. I went with the landlord coach moniker. Um, but really about helping people get clarity and, and get direction in terms of their life, focusing on life output and not just income generation. So that's really interesting. And how did you, how did you end up doing landlord coaching? Do you run, do you do real estate yourself or is it, you're just, you're a coach for people who invest in real estate? What's the, uh, um, like how did that happen? It, yeah, it's interesting. So landlord coach really started as a, um, you know, really just more of a marketing arm. You know, I, I, the irony is I really don't want to make people into landlords. I want to make them into business owners and, and help them, uh, you know, help them focus on life out. But there's so many real estate entrepreneurs that I know that are out there that get started um, with the idea of having lots of control over their calendar, lots of time freedom, lots of money coming in so they can do whatever it is they want to do. Um, and then what ends up happening is they create a job for themselves and they, the result is the yeah. exact opposite of what they set out for. So, um, so I started with the landlord coach, but I mean, honestly, I'm working with a lot of small business owner owners who, um, who write about or heard about the VIP method, the vision infrastructure process method. And, um, you know, they, I work with them as a coach and, and just try to help them get, uh, get clarity in their vision and get, um, get infrastructure and processes put together that, uh, will help them, um, really help them get the, the lifestyle and the life output that they want. Yeah. So, and you also are a um, owner of. You have a real estate portfolio yourself, then as well, right? Yeah, I've got uh, I've got a couple hundred properties that I you know between what I own and what I manage. So that's um, that enables me to you know that gives that affords me the ability to have as much time freedom as I want on my calendar to you know to coach and write books and do the stuff that I'm really passionate about. Come do interviews like this one. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Work on my sarcasm. Cool. <laughs> So the, uh, my, my first question, my first real question for you is about your origin story, right? So every good comic book hero has their origin story, whether that's, you know, um, whether they were born a hero or were you bit by a, a radioactive spider that made you get into real estate investing and then coaching other real estate investors, or did you start out like the corporate world and eventually get into real estate and coaching? Um, basically want to find out how did you become the entrepreneur you are today? That's a great question. I, I I would love to say it was, you know, I, I went and bought my first rental property and, uh, you know, gained all my superpowers at the closing table and went straight to the Ferrari dealership and bought, you know, and bought my first, you know, Ferrari. And that's not at all. <laughs> In fact, it was the exact opposite. What's that? It is the dream though, right? Right. That seems to be the story that's being sold to us by all these infomercials on Facebook and so forth. But that is 
100% not my story. <laughs> I, I pretty much was more like the, uh, the Peter Parker uh, of making about every mistake that you could possibly make. I, I was, I definitely, I worked hard. I tried hard, but man, everything I seemed to do just seemed to blow up in my face. Um, but, uh, you know, going back, I was in the Marine Corps for, uh, for four years. I got out, went to, uh, went to Purdue and got my degree in accounting and a minor in finance. Um, and while I was at Purdue, I w- I decided to start buying some rental properties and learn how to learn how to do that while I was in school. So by the time I got out of school, I had I had about a dozen rental units all together, which was just about half a million dollars worth of real estate. So I would love to say at that point, you know, I had it all figured out and everything else. But that's actually my re- where my real education started is after I graduated from college. And uh, that's when it got really, really expensive because uh, I just went on to make a lot more mistakes from there. So, what were what were some of your 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 big mistakes that go from owning half a million dollars in real estate to I think in your bio you have forty million now that you you manage or own in some in some form or fashion? Yeah. So I, I would love to say you know like again this is one of those things where I made just about every possible mistake that you can make in the business. So. Um, because I was pretty much stuck on stupid, I, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, the, the, I, I just kept buying more properties for the sake of buying more because, you know, more was better. And it actually, all it was doing was creating more and more and more complexity in my business. And I was yeah. never, I, you know, I never fired myself from any of these little jobs that I created. So, you know, that was probably where, you know, I really started to get um, real, my real education in business. And I had built up a six million dollar rental portfolio, uh, with with which was ninety two rental units altogether, and I, uh, you know, and you know I was I was doing okay. I mean, from the outside looking in, you know, I had it all. I was you know I was bringing in sixty five thousand dollars a month in revenues. I was you know I was had the big house, the cars, you know, all the the enviable lifestyle. But what people didn't see is I was working you know anywhere from twelve to fourteen to sixteen hours a day just to keep all the balls in the air. You know, I was doing the leasing, the showings, the, all, all the maintenance, all the, you know, opening the mail, answering the phone, you know, it was just a, a constant barrage of just stuff that was, that was you know, just never ending, you know? So I had created all of these hundreds and hundreds of little jobs for myself that even though I was like, well, that'll only take a few minutes. Well, when you multiply that times 300, <laughs> you know, there's not enough hours in the day to do all these little jobs. So, so- yeah. So my my first sort of question on that is, was the big like learning moment when you started learning how to either because um, I know one of one of a good friend of mine works in um, commercial real estate, um, and he said like one of the biggest changes in his business when he started to realize that he could shift from individual units to multi unit things, and like it's the same amount of management for a sixty unit thing as it is for um, one unit. Um, it just, would you hire someone in there or is it, or both maybe with hiring a team and actually getting other people to start doing some of the things that, you know, using some of that revenue, that top line revenue to, uh, to, to get an organization of people under you to help make it happen. Yeah, it was, it was the latter of the two. Although, I mean, I think that's a little bit of a misconception that, you know, the multifamily units are easier just because they're all in one location. Um, it depends. It's not always that simple because something that I refer to as multiple lines of complexity and not to get overly you know, complex about it for your listeners, but, you know, 
there's a reason why, you know, we know the ideal classroom size for, um, for, for classrooms, right. For in, in schools is somewhere between 20 and 25, right. That's because, you know, you've got to consider that every individual student also can interact with another individual student. So every time it can, so student one can interact with student two and three and four, all the way up to 20 or 25, right? Well, when you, when you factor that in mathematically, that's over 900 lines of complexity when you start getting over 20 students, right? And we can handle 900 or a thousand lines of complexity fairly well because it's the typical 80, 20 rule where 20% of your problems are going to, you know, you know, you're going to get you know, 80% of your problems out of 20% of your students, right? So that's the typical 80-20 rule, right? So, you know, when you, when you get a larger population, then it starts to be more and more problematic. So just for example, if you're looking at a, you know, a 20 or 30 unit apartment building, you got to keep in mind that every single one of those residents can interact with another one of those residents and every single unit in there can impact potentially another unit around it you know, whether it's above or below or, you know, side to side, you know, I mean, someone that has a water heater leak on the third floor can impact the second and third and the the departments next to it and all the way down. I mean, it can cause a real big problem, right? So it's not as straightforward as saying, oh, well, multifamily is easier just because it's under one roof. Eh, It's not that straightforward because you have to, you still have to manage the multiple lines of complexity and you can do that with a system. And that's what I did. That's what I recognized. So when I got to, you know, uh, I was going into 2008 and 2009 with this $6 million worth of real estate, you know, and all of a sudden when the economy fell apart, you know, that $65,000 a month went to $30,000 a month and it was a complete and total disaster. <laughs> I mean, you know, so that was yeah. my, from a hero perspective, that's when I truly hit my pit moment um, because um, you know, I'm working harder. I'm working more hours. I'm working 18, sometimes 20 hours a day. I'm grabbing a nap wherever I could in the Lowe's parking lot or wherever I could just to try to keep all the balls in the air working seven days a week. My phone was relentless. You know, no one's paying rent. Um, I'm working more hours, just trying to keep the regular maintenance up, then trying to turn the properties where people are moving out of. Right. Yeah. And, you know, getting those re-rented and, um, here's where it went from bad to worse is, Obviously, that kind of lifestyle and that kind of pace, well, I got sick. And because I didn't stop and get rest, that turned into double pneumonia and I almost died in the hospital. So it was, it, it went from, it went, it got pretty bad and pretty dark for me during that time. Interesting. So, so you went from it's hard economically to one of my, my biggest things we talk about on the show all the time is the idea that, uh, you have to give yourself as an entrepreneur, you have to give yourself permission to play. That's what I call it. That as entrepreneurs, we think of, we think of rest and recreation as a reward for a job well done. Um, and then our job is never done. So we never do it. Uh, right. And instead of looking at rest and recreation as a requirement to do a good job. Um, and it's one of those scripts that we have to flip in our own heads as entrepreneurs. Um, so it sounds like you, you like ran into that, that like <laughs> realization really hard. Uh, so how, how has that shifted since then? Yeah, that was pretty much a, a shovel to the face <laughs> for me, <Yeah. laughs> but, uh, yeah. So while I was in the hospital and this is kind of when I had this massive, you know, parting of the clouds for me, 
um, I'm laying in the hospital and the hospitalist comes in and I'm, I'm there for at least a couple days. Um, and the hospitalist comes in and she said something to me that I never forgot. And she looked at me and she says, you know, you're 30, I'm 37 years old at the time. And she says, you know, people who look like you at your age don't lay in hospital beds like this. She said, you need to really evaluate what's going on in your life and, you know, and change some things. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I kind of knew what she was talking about. And of course I knew about systems and stuff like that wasn't like a massively, you know, I mean, Michael Gerber has been talking about this for 30 plus years, right? With the email. Yeah. So it wasn't anything that's crazy. I read the book, you know, people are saying, oh, you really need to get help. Well, what was I going to do? Like, you know, I didn't have any systems or processes or anything. I mean, so none of that would have made a difference. Even if I did have help, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have known how to help. So as I'm sitting there, you know, I, I couldn't answer my phone. I just trapped there with my thoughts. This nurse comes in with a needle and she said, I have to give you a shot in the stomach. To Ouch. which I replied, you need to work on your marketing. <laughs> there is no way you're giving. I said, well, wait, wait a minute. What's this shot for? And she says, well, you're going to be laying in the hospital bed for the next two or three days. And we don't want you to get blood clots in your legs. Um, so this is Coumadin to help th thin your blood. And I said, well, and I look over and the, the machine that they had me on, which was pumping fluids into my arm. I said, well, that thing's on wheels, right? And she says, yeah. I said, I can get out of bed and walk around, right? And of course, she looked at me like I was asking her to explain Michael Jackson. <laughs> and she goes, okay, well, yeah, I guess, right? So she takes her needle and she goes away. So not long later, another nurse comes in with another needle. I got to give you a shot, she says. And I said, okay, well, what's this for? And she says, well, the, the drugs we've got you on, we got you on a steroid, um, prednisone, and that is messing with your blood sugar, and I need to give you this insulin to help level you out. I said, well, how about, you know, I, she told me, I said, well, what is it? She told me the number, whatever it was. And I said, okay, well, how about I just eliminate sugar and carbs from my diet while I'm here, and you can check me tomorrow morning, and if I still need it, you can give it to me then, right? So she takes her needle, and she goes away. Now, here's the thing. As I'm sitting there, I'm just, I'm watching this whole thing, you know, this whole thing going on outside my door and watching the nurses station, the whole thing. And I realized that these nurses were operating within a system. They weren't trying to push drugs. They were just doing their job somewhere. Somehow they were told, given these parameters, this guy may need some, you know, these, these shots or whatever, you know, these are the things you have to do. So of course, you know, as I'm sitting there trapped with my thoughts in the hospital for three days, I'm, I'm kind of swimming around with all these things that are wrong in my life. And they kind of landed in three different buckets, right? The first bucket that I recognized is that everything was in my head. Everything that I had, like all the problems was in my head. I couldn't get, no, there was no processes at all. There was no system of doing things. There was no standard operating procedure. It was just whoever called, whoever yelled the loudest, they're the ones I took care of. Those are the ones I took care of right? Um, you know, whether it was rent collection or maintenance requests or whatever it was, that's the thing I did. So everything kind of landed was, was, you know, I didn't have any processes really, right? The next thing 
that I recognized is I had no, I had no anything resembling a business. I didn't have any real infrastructure. You know, like people were saying, you know, well, you need help. Well, I didn't have desks or chairs or a computer or, you know, software or a phone system that didn't look like my cell phone, right? I didn't have anything like that resembled a business. I mean, so even if I did have help, what was I going to do? Walk them into a room and yell, do work and then run away? Like it wasn't going to improve my life at all, right? So I didn't have any processes or, you know, and I certainly didn't have any infrastructure. And then finally, one, the last thing was I really didn't have any real vision for what I was trying to accomplish. I didn't have any real understanding or why was I getting out of bed in the morning and doing this thing? I mean, I had been in the corporate world and even though I fit in there like a square peg in a round hole, I didn't, I mean, I proved to myself that I could make a living that way. Why was I doing this particular thing? Like, what was it all for? Right. So as I look at it that way, I mean, you know, and I didn't have it quite that, you know, literally spelled out. It wasn't like, you know, v, the VIP, you know, where it's form, formed in birds and flew by my window, right? You know, or something along those lines. But that's how I came up with the vision the infrastructure process method. Yeah. Well, what's that? It was, it was the first messy thoughts that became that. That's exactly right. Yeah, it was just it was just kind of like, well, you know, let me put this together, but it has to be in that order, right? You have to put the vision infrastructure process method together in that order because it has to be vision focused. It has to be vision led because the business is just how money comes in. I, I mean, you know, for all of your listeners out there, I don't think anybody would be overly offended if they woke up tomorrow with $300 million in their bank accounts and it didn't happen to be coming from, you know, real estate or Bitcoin or whatever. They were just, you know, I think they'd be quite happy and content with the 300 million. Yeah, it doesn't matter. So really the infrastructure and process is just, it's really just the vessel. It's just the, 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 the vessel that gets you from here to there. And that's, and that's the, the vessel that needs to deliver your vision for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I know the, for me, I had the same kind of come to Jesus moment. Um, I wasn't in a hospital bed. I was at a mastermind group. Um, my uh, mine, mine was actually if I if I had a, a an analogous to the hospital moment, it was on the side of a road. It was several years ago. We were just a, a new traveling family, um, and I decided my business was capable of being location independent. So we might as well be location independent because why not? Um, and we're a good six months into this, and I am um, struggling to grow my business but at the same time, struggling to figure out how to live life mobily. Um, and I remember one afternoon, the fuel pump on our um, motorhome died while we were in the middle of Texas on the way up to a national park. And we were like, like literally it's a hundred miles from anywhere. Like, like there's no cell service, there's no cars driving by, we're in the middle of the desert and we're on the side of a hill and the, the coach is dead. Um, and like, it's, it's parked on the hill, like this kind of thing. And like our bed is one of those things. It's like at the back of the RV. And I was like, if we have to sleep here tonight, oh, yeah. we're gonna have to turn the bed around so we don't die from blood blustering into our skulls kind of thing. And like every once in a while, there's an 18 wheeler that goes <laughs> by and it like shakes the whole coach. And I'm like, I'm going to have to put blocks up under the wheel. And I couldn't figure anything out. I'm like crying on the side of the road kind of thing. Like, what have I done to my family that I've got us stuck in the middle of the desert and I can't solve any of these problems. Um, and I realized I, the, my problem was I, I didn't understand 
the systems in the RV well enough to um, to fix the problems, right? And uh, I was having the same problem in my business because one of the things I've learned over life over my life is that uh, if your problem can be solved with money, you don't have a problem; you have a resource problem, right? Like like it's it's a resource problem is yeah. what it is. And so um, I had a resource problem that was manifesting in my life because my business had the same kind of systems issues. Um, so I woke up the next morning after we slept on the road and my, my wife, you know, my wife helped keep the kids all sane. And like, I was upset and all this kind of stuff. Next morning we get, we, we, the coach starts and just works fine. We get all the way to where we're going. And by serendipity, the guy that's parked next to me, I'm chatting with him about this. He knows exactly what the problem is with my coach. Um, and he's like, it's a vapor lock oh issue. God. And your fuel line is running over the top of the coach because when someone did an upgrade to the fuel pump, they put the fuel line in the wrong spot. If you take the fuel line and move it from here to six inches over there, it won't overheat and uh, and evaporate all your fuel in the line so your coach isn't getting gas. Solved it in like 30 seconds because he understood the system, right? He knew what was going on. Super fascinating. Right. right. So fast forward right. a few months, um, I'm at my mastermind. Um, with a group of people who are significantly more successful than I am in business. Not sure how I managed to get myself in that room. But um, the, the guy who's running that, at the end of it, he pulls me aside because, you know, at each one of the masterminds, each, we all come with something that we share, you know, like here's something we're going to share with the group. And we all sort of learn from each other and talk about our goals and whatnot. Um, and he pulls me aside at the end and he's like, listen, you're doing some ridiculously cool things in your business. It's like, but you are your own bottleneck because you don't have a team and you don't have your systems out of your head, right? Um, and he's like, so what I want you to do, he's like, when you leave this mastermind, he's like, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to hire someone. It's like, it's like, this is the person you need to hire, and what you need to have them do is help you document your systems. <laughs> yep. uh, and yep. I, remember, exactly. I remember looking at him and being like, you're crazy, because I can't afford to hire someone, right? I can't, like, I yep. can't do that. I don't know what I would have them do. I don't know how I'd have the money for it. Um, and after um, I, I vacillated on that for, I don't know, three months. Um, well, I was like, I can't do this. I don't know how I'm going to do it. But he was like, Prom just promise me you'll do it. He's like, you won't understand it until after you've done it. It's like, it's one of those, you know, he had perspective I didn't have kind of thing. And right. I finally bit the bullet and did it. And I hired someone full time and we started working on processes and everything. Um, and what was interesting is like within two weeks, like it all clicked. And suddenly I understood where the money was coming from to pay for him or pay for that person. And because, uh, you know, now I had twice as much time available and it changed my entire like structure on like instead of asking myself, should I do this myself or should I hire someone? I was asking myself, what can I get off of my plate and onto theirs? And what's the best way to do that? Right. Changes the whole conversation. Um, yeah. And yeah. I've since built a much larger business and we operate two companies now. And um, a lot of it is based on exactly what you're talking about, which is learning how to um put together the correct infrastructure, which in our case is a lot of digital tools for a remote team and processes that make it all happen. <laughs> right, right. Well, and to your point, you know, what I had to recognize too is that the bottleneck is always at the top of the bottle. Yeah. And I, I really, I, I started, you know, with the, with the idea of the vision infrastructure process method, you know, cause I, I have seven different businesses that I, that I oversee and several of them are software companies and they're not all real estate related, but I always look at something through the, the, the lens of the VIP method and any information that has to flow through me, like I'm real careful about like 
why is this information coming to me right now? And why, why do I have to make a decision? Why does the decision land in my plate? Now, sometimes, sometimes I want it to, right? Sometimes I don't mind that, but if it's too many decisions that I'm thinking, why is this coming to me? Why isn't this just automated? Or, you know, why isn't it delegated to someone else? You know, I start looking at that pretty quickly, especially if it's information, especially if it's, if it's decisions that can be, that are not really all that, you know, the, the, the outcome isn't all that relevant. I mean, you know, I might miss an appointment here or there, but you know, why can't I automate that? So I don't miss an appointment or, you know, why, why does that have to be, that's something that, that I have to look at before it goes on my calendar. I mean, that's why I have a chief of staff. That's why I have other people that, that look through that lens for me and they love doing work like that. And that gets them doing their best thing. And I get to do my best thing, which is coaching and teaching. And that doesn't even seem like work to me. I mean, I could literally coach all day and have conversations all night and it doesn't seem like work to me. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And I know um, one of my one of my rules in my business now is to um, only do that which only you can do. Um, so we build all of our systems with that in mind where, um, you know, it, one of the cool things we do with our uh, our project management system in one of our companies is like each one of the... Uh, each one of the process buckets is broken out by like skill set. Um, so the the person who's in charge of, you know, for instance, we do like graphic design work and it's all, all of the processes are in there and like they own all of those and those all like, so they're only doing that thing and they're not doing anything else, right? So they're not doing things that are like in the writer's bucket or are in the media editor's bucket or um, they're not even doing like task management related stuff, right? Because any of the task management stuff can all be automated by robots because robots are really right. good at that stuff. Um, <laughs> so we build all of our processes to be it. So like each one of the people on the team should only be doing like stuff that only they can do, right? And then in the same way, hopefully I'm doing only the stuff that only I can show up and do. Like for instance, I, only I can do these interviews on this show for, for what I'm trying to accomplish right. with it. Um, so that's that's uh so i show up and do those but like i don't do anything else for this show like literally nothing i show up for these interviews everything else is part of the system that i don't do anything else for but the one thing that i have to show up and do right right yeah exactly exactly and that and that's awesome and that's why you know when you when you can get real clear in terms of what it is that you are great at which takes a little bit of it takes a little bit of work to get there you know i mean and, and it took me a while to realize the things that I'm really, truly great at is, you know, building a team and then getting out of their way and then learning how to support them and learning, you know, like I'm really careful about dictating how the work gets done as long as the work follows a certain set of core values that I have in place. And, um, you know, that the result is what we're ultimately wanting, you know, whether that's a satisfied customer or that, you know, it's not just always dollars in the bank, but, you know, are we, are we getting, to the result that we want. And if we're not getting the results, we only have to look at our inputs. That's the only thing you have to look at is the inputs. And, and it's just results. There's no failure. It's just, well, we didn't get the results we wanted. So how could we change our inputs? That's it. It's a pretty simple formula. And I feel like that's a really great transition into my next question, which is about your superpowers. Right? So every iconic hero has a superpower, whether that's a, you know, a fancy flying suit made by your genius intellect or the uh, Super strength or the ability to call down thunder from the sky. Heroes have what I call a 
uh, a zone of genius, right? Which is either a skill or a set of skills you were born with or you developed over your career um, that really help you help your customers, you know, slay their villains in their life. And the way I like to frame it is like, you look at all the skills that you've developed over your, the course of your entrepreneurial career, um, there's probably a common thread that sort of ties all those skills together. And that common yeah. thread is probably where you find your superpower. So with that in mind, what do you think your superpower is? You know, I had to be, it's funny you're asking this, especially where I'm at in this time of my life right now, because for a while, I really didn't feel okay with saying it because it was kind of like, man, that sounds really terrible. You know, like it sounds to be that sure of that you're good at that good at something. But I know that I'm a great teacher. I'm great at it. And I know that I'm a great coach. And that's not because I happen to be a coach. It's because I became a coach because I know I'm great at it. And it was one of those things where I finally recognized, I talked to my staff one day and I, you know, I was, I was working, I was trying to work through some, you know, um, some, uh, I was being invited to do a presentation somewhere and I was like, man, what am I gonna do a presentation on? And I was like, well, I don't really know that I could, you know, what, you know, what kind of things that I could teach on. So I went to my staff, I said, Hey, could you, you know, put a, just a short list together of some of this, maybe, maybe a, a topic or two that I might have taught you over in the last, you know, four or five months. And it was so humbling because they, they all looked at each other like, okay, you're kidding, right? And I was like, no, I just only need like a couple from you guys. They like, that would be a really, really long list. And I was like, like looked at, and then it was really like truly incredulous. Like, no, I'm like, I, I really need your help right now. Like I really, I thought they were being funny, but they're like, no, Mark, that's something you're really, really good at. And I was like, oh. Well, I mean, I knew I was a good teacher, but I didn't think I was that good. And really what, what I found is really what truly makes me great, the common thread between being a great teacher and being a great coach is this ability to connect dots that most people would never connect. Making that piece of information relevant to them because it, I've either experienced it or I've learned about it or something along those lines. So. From that aspect, because I'm always learning with the idea of reteaching, you know, I learn a lot for me, but I'm almost, it, it's almost always through the lens of how can I teach this to someone else? And that's yeah. true. I, someone else pointed that out to me. So, you know, not to get super weird about it, but I mean, I feel like I really do feel comfortable to own this. This is why God put me here because I really feel that this is just something that I'm great at is that ability to connect seemingly two irrelevant dots, making them, making them connect and then making that relevant to the individual to make them better from, you know, whatever, whatever journey that they're on. Yeah. So there's two things I want to pull out of your story there. Um, one of them is, um, is something that I, I find really fascinating and that is the fine line that is the difference between confidence and arrogance. Um, and i I find that the difference between confidence and arrogance is whether or not it's been earned, right? So arrogance is generally masking a lack of actual skill or lack of actual like aptitude in an area where confidence is something that you're like, I, I know I've earned this. I've done, I've done the work, right? I've earned my stripes kind of thing. Uh, and in our heads, we have a hard time separating the difference between arrogance and confidence. Uh, and it feels like you said, it feels almost bad to own that. But at the same time, you have to realize like that's, 
that's that that imposter syndrome thing that pops up where like maybe i haven't earned this maybe i'm not actually a good teacher maybe i'm not as good as i think i am um but when you actually look at your body of work you realize that no i've actually earned this i've done i've done this thing i have become world class in this area um and it's it's a mental shift and it's also it's something that other people can detect right they can detect if you're arrogant or if you're truly good at what you say you are right um because you know our bullshit meters are really good and that kind of stuff. So that's the first thing. Um, and the second thing was on the the teaching. And only because it's, it's I, I'm sort of in that realm as well. One of the things that I, I, I do is I, I teach, uh, I teach people how to teach. Um, so that's one of my, my skill sets is teaching yeah. other people how to take the skills in their head and turn them into persuasive education. Um, and so there's a lot of, there's a lot of really interesting skills that go into learning how to teach. And very few people actually know how to do it, like how to actually teach someone else and like the actual yeah. formula behind how someone learns. Um, and I find that endlessly fascinating. Yeah. So I feel like that would be something we could connect on a lot because teaching is is like we we think of teaching as like what happens in school. Um, and those are you know certainly yeah. teachers and learning your foundational skills. But once you get past foundational skills, being able to um, to most every other form of teaching is some sort of persuasive teaching because you're teaching someone how to do something that they then have to take action on and change things in their life in order to make use of anything they're learning. Um, and it's, yeah. it's an entirely different world. Um, and it's a, it's, it's, it's like a superpower unto itself. <laughs> it really is. That's, that's a great point. And I, I, man, I'm, I'm lighting up over what you're saying because um, you know, it's like, the, the, I think the foundation or definition of a good leader is someone who creates another leader. And, yeah. um, you know, teaching, teaching people how to teach is, is such a blessing to others. And I, and I don't really know that I teach how to teach, but I could easily see, you know, now all of a sudden I'm starting to get other coaches coming to me and other, which is incredibly humbling, you know, other consultants coming to me, which is incredibly humbling, but because they recognize that, you know, they also, it, it requires a certain level of humility to be able to do that. And, um, you know, I have a coach, which is, you know, I don't know, you know, it's one of those things in the past where I'm thinking, how in the world could I honestly say that you really need a coach, but I don't have a coach, you know, and I've had several coaches and I still have, I have a coach right now, but it's one of those things where I feel like, you know, being, um, you know, being in that, that, that realm of teaching and embracing and being, I don't know how you can do that without a certain sense of humility. I'm not sure that you can. And no. I, I can recognize in a very, you know, I, I'm a little embarrassed to admit it, but, you know, showing up as, as if I was already there, you know, with this fake mask on, you know, pretending I was something that I wasn't because I felt like that's what I had to be in order to be a coach or whatever it was. I was looking at the people on the internet as my role models. And those were like the worst people that I wanted. I'm like, man, if I have to be successful, I have to be like them. And I'm like, man, that's like kissing Hitler in the mouth. Like that's disgusting. I don't, I don't want to be that, you know, but what I really recognize out there. And especially if, if any of your listeners are ever wanting to be coaches, if they're ever wanting to be teachers, you know, to your point, if you cannot be authentic and, and trust me, authentic is not always pretty. Authentic just means raw and who you are. But if you can't be authentic to who you are, you're going to have a tr tough time t 
teaching or coaching anybody. And I think yeah, that was probably I, one of the biggest lessons that I had to learn. I think uh, you, you mentioned, you know, humble and pride um, in, in, in your discussion just there. And one of the things that I think is, is really fascinating is I think humility and pride are very similar to um, the arrogance and confidence, right? Where like we, we think um, that humility and pride are opposites, right? Like never the, you know, they're mutually exclusive kind of thing. Um, and I don't think they are, right? I, I think they're actually in two separate worlds because um, humility comes from understanding that it, it comes from, at least from, from my perspective, it comes from understanding that we have, we have a spark of divinity in us, right? And like our, our gifts and our talents and sometimes a lot, we work for them, but they're also, you know, a lot of them are given to us, <laughs> uh, right? And we're, we're right, dependent yeah, on yeah. each other and the relationships and the other things that the people who have helped build us. Um, and so there's a humility and understanding that like, I couldn't do this on my own. I couldn't be who I am without the people, you know, without standing on the shoulders of giants. Um, and pride is on the other side of like, but I've also earned my stripes. I've put in the work, right? I've done what it takes to get where I am, right? Cause um, you know, you, you can't have like one without the other kind of thing um, and, and actually have real confidence um, in what you do. So yeah, sort of have yeah that, that's, that's a really good right. Yeah, it was really interesting uh, to that point. I mean, I remember so several years ago, you know, my bride and I, we were really, really struggling. You know, we were, you know, it's marriage, you know, I mean, you're married, you get it, you know, and we were, we were in a really, really bad place. And it was really interesting that I, I felt like I didn't really want to share that with the world because I was embarrassed about it. You know, I mean, I had done bad things. She'd done bad things. You know, like we were just we were just not good to each other. We were really, really bad to each other. And it was really interesting that, you know, and, and you know, we were both, you know, wrong. And we were both, you know, I went in and took 100 percent of my blame. She went in and took 100 percent of her blame. And it was really interesting that once we started to share that story, and I was a little embarrassed about it, but I was like, and, and you know, I'm still a little embarrassed about it. But when I started sharing that story, people all of a sudden started to come to me organically and going, man, I'm so glad you and your wife worked things out. Um, you know, could you tell us what you guys did? And I'm like, yeah, man. I mean, and I'll talk to anybody about that. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I can only offer you my story and the tools that are in my toolbox that helped me get out of that. But I certainly now just let me be clear. I was not saying that for the purpose of getting clients. Absolutely, one hundred percent was not. I was just offering that as a conversation piece, you know. And, and and then all of a sudden they'd be like, "Well, you know, so what's it like to coach with you?" And I'm like, "Wait, what? Pump the brakes! I'm not. This isn't a sales session. Like, I didn't have this conversation for that purpose." And they're like, "No, we know, but we really just want to know what your coaching's about." And all of a sudden I'm starting to get I'm starting to get clients because of it. And I was like, are you like, what is going on? I just kind of looked at the sky and like, really, this is where my life is going. And, and, and that's what was laid at my feet. You know, God put that in my feet and I'm thinking, holy moly. All right. Well, I guess that's what it is. It's just people are dying for some authenticity. That's not someone, you know, holding up a check and going, Hey, I made $50,000, you know, off this, whatever deal they're, they're really just wanting authenticity in whatever form that looks like. And I was just, um, I don't know. I, I, I felt like that was something that really made me realize that you really have to be able to, to, you know, not humiliate yourself, you know, but 
you know, be humble and recognize that that people, you know, that are out there, that if you have a skill set, that they really just need you to be you so that you can connect with them on their level. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a it's super fascinating to see how when you tell your story, that's what connects with people. And, you know, I was just talking about this on the last interview we did today that we are, you know, we're a story born people, humanity as a whole. Like that's how we interact with one another. It's how we build relationships with one another. It's like every, everything about our lives, we judge on stories. Right. And yeah. so I, I tell people all the time is like, you know, you, you might call an acquaintance is someone that, you know, their name, but you don't know their story. And a friend might be someone who, you know, their name, and you know, some of their stories and a close friend, you know, you know, a lot of their stories, but your best friend, you know, so many of their stories that they can't even tell you any new ones. You have to go out and create new stories together. Right. And that, like, yeah. so we judge our relationships on stories. And so, especially if you're in the coaching business, which is, you are, if you want to connect with people, you have to share your story. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, and it wasn't always pretty. And that's why I even, you know, before I wrote the book, <clears throat> you know, I had to look like this, you know, like, you know, I know that my, on the back of my book, it, you know, shows what the assets are under management and stuff like that. But even then I feel like that's like, that's not what I want people to focus on. I want them to focus on having control over their calendar and not the dollars in their bank account. Because one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this work that I'm doing now and being a good coach and teacher for small business owners and operators, whether they're in real estate or whether they're not. I mean, I coach people, you know, across the board that are, you know, that are small business owners specifically, but because I recognize that there are too many marriages that are failing, you know, there's too many missed baseball games. There's too many missed opportunities to make a memory with a friend or with somebody out there. And I really, that's, I guess that's why I'm, that's, that's, that's the fight that I do as a hero every day, right? As a superhero, as I go out and I want to make sure that there's people that have the tools in their toolbox that have the ability to have the white space on their calendar. So when life shows up at their door, right, they don't, they don't not have the fight that needs to happen. And it doesn't need to be a knockdown drag out. It just needs to be, you know, you have to have that conflict. Conflict isn't bad, but unresolved conflict is. And that's the, that's the cancer that's allowed to metastasize because it's never dealt with. And, you know, yeah. that's the, the fight that doesn't happen because you're working, you know, 18 hours a day between two or three different jobs and you're missing great events with your children and you're missing, you know, weddings and, and funerals and family reunions and all these things that are happening because you're so constrained by income generation. Yeah. I have a, my, um, I don't know what you call it, but you know, like the name of your business, that's not like the public name of your business, but like the one that's on the documents, um, mine's uh, five yeah. freedom. And I use the five freedoms, um, cause for me, it's, it's that it's just a reminder to myself every time I look at any of our stuff, um, uh, that the thing that I'm building for is, you know, it's spiritual freedom, um, uh, and political freedom are the two big ones. Like we know what those are and, uh, financial freedom is, you know, the ability to not have your decisions constrained by your finances. And then the other two, the ones that people miss, um, are your time freedom and your location freedom, right? And that's being able to yeah. decide what to do with your time and being able to decide what to do, where like where you want to spend your time. Um, and I have a number yeah. of 
friends and clients who have had significantly more successful businesses if measured only in the financial freedom department than I have uh, and have yeah. them look at me and tell me, I am envious of your business and your life because you have the time freedom and the location freedom that I just don't have because I built myself into a box with this huge business. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting because I'm, I sit in a mastermind too, that I kind of look around. And I feel like I'm auditing the class, you know, <laughs> with people that are making substantially more money than me, but I have substantially more time freedom. And I would, I don't know that I would trade. I would trade that. I really wouldn't. I've been down that road where I've made a lot more money. Um, could I make more by devoting more time to, to that? But, you know, right now I've got, we've got two teenage boys at home that, you know, sooner than later, they're going to be going on and, and heading out to their own lives. But, you know, we want to enjoy those last years with them while they're in high school. You know, one's in high school, one's getting ready to go into high school. But, um, you know, I, 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 you know, we've got a great relationship with my family, great relationship with my friends. And obviously the Rona has, uh, has dismantled some of our, our closer connections, you know, just because of the proximity, but you know, but that, that'll we'll resurrect that, you know, over time and we'll have more and more flexibility and freedom on that stuff. But I think that's exactly, I, you know, the one thing that people always seem to forget is they're so focused on money, but you're never getting back your time. You're never getting back yeah. the time that you, that you spend and invest, but yet everybody's still focused on the one thing, which is, you know, having, having this, the, the number of zeros in their bank account. And that's all sounds, I mean, I'm not saying anything that's already, you know, that everybody already knows, but yet why, why haven't we shifted that paradigm yet? I don't know between maybe between yeah. you and me and a few others that will, will change that. Yeah. Well, it's funny because we all still want the numbers in our bank account, right? Like I have, I have right. a significant amount of time freedom in my life now, but you know, we're still working towards making the numbers bigger in the bank account. So it doesn't go away. Right? It's, it's yeah. still included in our, in our list of things that we're looking to build. Um, I just think, yeah. you know, time freedom is a bigger priority. Um, so yeah. And, and I'm with you on Absolutely. the kids growing up. My, my oldest is starting middle school. He's, he's going to be 12 and middle school next week. And I was like, I'm not ready for that. Um, he's ready for that, but I'm not, um, cause he was right. a baby like yesterday. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if you, I think if you stop feeding him for a while, I think that that slows it down, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I've tried just I've a tried theory the at this point. Head, like you know, making a custom hat yeah. and just putting yeah. bricks in it. It's not, not making any difference. Just making yeah. it strong. Not, not working. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I want to talk about the uh, flip side of your superpower, which is the fatal flaw, right? So just like every Superman has their kryptonite or, um, you know, Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad. You probably have a flaw that's held you back in growing your business. For me, it was a couple of things. I struggled with perfectionism for a long time um, where I wouldn't actually ship stuff we were working on because I could always tweak it and make it a little bit different, a little bit better, um, which also meant that I was not ever shipping anything and not doing anything. So therefore holding myself to a very low standard. Um, and I also struggled with self-care for a long time where I had bad boundaries with my clients and with my time, my relationship with time and uh, spent, you know, you've, you've said this, you know, <laughs> 70 hours a week to accomplish less than what I accomplish now in four hours a week. Um, so I think probably right. more important than what the flaw is that you struggled with is how we work to overcome it. So we might learn a little bit from your experience. Yeah, it's um, so it's funny that I'm as I'm you know thinking about you know the different you know uh, 
I'm thinking, man, fatal flaws. I'm like, geez, just, just one or two. <laughs> Cause I've got, I've got so many. Um, but one of the things that I, I'm, I'm thinking about where I, I started to recognize that I had some real self worthiness issues and that, that, you know, feel not feeling worthy was probably the fundamental thing that I was doing. And that worthiness was showing up in all sorts of ways. And, and it showed up in ways where I felt, you know, I felt like I needed to prove myself in a room. So I, you know, you and I, it seems like you and I would probably end up talking if we know, if we ever met in person, we probably would jabber on like two monkeys in a tree for like 20 hours. We'd have to, you know, eventually have to have somebody that's coming, comes and gets us. Right. I think we would be like that. So we both like to talk, but what I was doing is I would overcompensate almost feeling like I needed to be the loudest person in the room so I could prove that I belonged in the room. Yeah. So proving was, proving was a big thing for me. Um, but you know, I, I had so many things that were related to uh, self-sabotage and the self-sabotage showed up in so many ways where if I was stalling or delaying doing something or doubting whether I should have that, that I should have been doing it at all, um, you know, seeking perfection like you, you know, doing the unnecessary. And even though, you know, even though it, it's something that I was doing um, with the idea that, you know, even though it wasn't necessarily um, productive, right? Like it was, it wasn't, it wasn't moving the needle for me. So doing the unnecessary, this is another one hiding inactivity where I was so busy doing nonsense, you know, even though it wasn't necessarily unimportant, but I would hide in activity because it was easier than stopping and working on me. Yeah. Right. Or the flip side where I had so much to do that I would hide in inactivity because I didn't even know what to start on first, you know, um, where I would lie to myself and, and say things weren't as bad or, uh, you know, being overly optimistic or even, you know, setting impossible standards, all of those things. And it's funny because I tell people all this, like, Hey, you know, this isn't judgment of you. This is confession of me. I've, I've, I've gone through all of that stuff. And all of that was that, that self-sabotaging, self-punishing, self-defeating behavior fundamentally was coming back to these feelings of unworthiness that I had. And it's hard. It's like, well, how do you, I mean, it, this isn't a conscious level thing. Like, you know, well, Mark, I don't understand, you know, you're a, you know, a decorated Marine, you're, you know, you got a degree from this college and you did this and you did, you know, you checked all these boxes. How could you feel unworthy? Well, this is, this is the problem is it's not a, it's not a conscious level problem. It's a problem that's running in my base program of my subconscious of nonsense things that happened probably when I was nine or 10 years old that I now believe are truths. And that's what's setting me, you know, setting me down this motion. And as a result, I was bad with money. You know, and if I'm bad with money in my personal life, do you think I'm going to be great with money in my business life? <laughs> it does not, it does not work that way. Right. So, you know, I had to work through that stuff. And even as I was getting higher and higher levels of success, I would still choose to undo those things by, you know, spending money on the things that weren't necessarily earned, um, you know, and doing those sorts of things, you know, not starting things or I'm not sorry, not, not finishing things was a perfect example of, you know, where I would start a lot of things. Um, allowing distractions to exist in my life, um, 
allowing lower standards to exist in my life, you know, things like that. Um, and probably, you know, probably the worst thing that I was doing related to unworthiness was kind of what we talked about before was not rewarding myself, not giving my inner child that, that, you know, that lollipop because I'd done some good stuff and not allowing myself downtime because, you know, I was just, Hey, cool. Well now, now I, I've got two hours and let me try to fit in 12 more work fidgets before the end of the day, rather than saying, you know what, you've done a good day. Go take some time off. You earned it. Yeah. Yeah. So bring that, that was probably the big thing. To one of the things we talked about earlier was like, you know, the vision infrastructure process. You can't give yourself permission to play if you don't know what it is you're trying to accomplish because you don't know when you've got there. You don't know if you've made any progress towards your vision. Um, and if you don't know that I have, if I've made any progress, you're like, since you've got that, you know, that sort of bad relationship with, uh, with self-care um, and, not, you know, it, it's sort of like a, a self-defeating cycle where you're like, I don't really know where I'm going. So I don't know if I've got there. So I haven't got enough time to give myself a reward. Um, and then you yeah. just sort of cycle all the way down until you get a shovel in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it will happen. And that's why I'm really careful about making sure I have time for self-care. Like, like at the end of the year, at the end of the leasing season, this is always a busy time for us. So I've, I've worked a few, you know, I haven't taken much time off over the last couple of weeks, but I've already told my family, look, I'm taking Friday or Saturday and Sunday off completely off. Usually I go into the office. I kind of futz around, you know, I don't really do anything overly, you know, overly taxing, but I absolutely positively need some time off. So, you know, I see a kayak in my future and a couple of sandwiches and, and probably not a cell phone. <laughs> so, uh, so I'm going to be, I'm looking forward to that. But uh, I have to tell you that's um, kayaking is my favorite sport. So I, I love to kayak. I have a, uh, I have one of those fold up Oru kayaks that fits in the storage bay. And I take that out and go, go kayaking whenever we're around water. So I'm with I you there. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so, maybe, we'll so, need to, maybe we'll need to book a, book a kayaking time for us to do that. One, one of the things that I, I want to pull out that you said was just, you know, right now you're working really hard because it's a busy season. Uh, and I think one of the things that we sort of mistake as entrepreneurs is this idea because we have, we have this, uh, you know, everyone talks about work-life balance. Like it's one of those legal scales where you're trying to like yeah. get your work and your life into this perfect balance, which is it's a, it's a poor metaphor because it's unreasonable and it's not how life really works. Yeah. And my favorite metaphor for work-life balance is actually a rubber band um, where, you know, you, you have to stretch the rubber band to make forward progress to actually, you know, if you're going to you know shoot your kid with rubber band in the back of the head at the dinner table, right, you got to stretch the rubber band a little bit right. um, to shoot the rubber band. And our, our business and our life the same way. When you want to make progress, right. you have to stretch the rubber band. Um, and, but if you stretch it too far, if you keep stretching, eventually it breaks. Right. And that can be devastating. You've experienced yeah. that. And it could be worse than that. Like you could actually kill yourself if you go the wrong, if you pull it too far. Um, so you can you can stretch it too far. Yeah. Um, so you have you have to have those periods of work and rest. Right. You have to let go. Um, and that's where you see that progress happens when you let go of the of the, the stress or band. <laughs> right. And I think that's a I think it's a better metaphor right. for how yeah. work life yeah. actually works. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. Um, um, something that I have heard, and, that, and I've, I've used this before, um, uh, or I've heard it said before by Dr. Ivan Meisner, who's the founder of BNI, and I love that he says this. 
he says, there's really not, I don't believe in work-life balance, but I do believe in harmony. And I thought, man, that is so good because harmony means that they can coexist. You know, there is no balance. It's not like, you know, no offense. I love my, my family. I don't know that I want to spend an equal amount of time at work with my family equally. You know what I mean? Um, I'm pretty sure my wife (laughs) would, you know, would also say that, like, I love you, but I need you to go do something. I need you to get a hobby or something. Right. But so there can't be balance. And I don't really know if there should be balance. I think that, but yeah, right, right, right. I need, but no, no puppy following around, but I, but I think that harmony is a better word. That's, that's one thing I do like, but I like the rubber band metaphor as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think they, they both work really well for just sort of understanding how that fits in. So I want to talk then about your common enemy, right? And this, I think, fits really well in with your your coaching clients. And, you know, every superhero has their arch nemesis. It's a thing that you constantly have to fight against in your world, right? So um, just like, uh, you know, in, in, in business, it takes a lot of forms, but generally we put this in the context of your clients, right? So when they hire you on and say, hey, I need your help as a coach for, you know, X, Y, Z, um, it's a flaw that you're constantly having to help people overcome right? Or a mindset that if, you know, the moment they sign on the dotted line, if you could just bop them on the head with your magic wand and not have to deal with that. So you could actually get them the results that they came to you for. What is that common enemy that you constantly have to fight against in your world? Before they become clients, it's trying not to get them to focus on income generation. And you know, as the, as the metric, as the only metric that matters. Because most of the time, what they don't recognize is that making money and keeping money are two different sets of skills. And they may yeah. possess one, but not the other, to, you know, or possess one at the detriment of the other. So usually the ones that are really, really hell bent on, no, I need to make more money. You know, I need... You know, like I need to make an extra $500,000 a year. If you can't help me, I'm going to find someone else. Well, who isn't looking to make an extra $500,000 a year? I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's the thing. But if that's really all they're about, then they're probably not, they're probably not a good coaching client for me. Not that I'm saying that that's wrong, but that I'm not a growth, I'm not a sales growth coach, right? I'm not a revenue growth coach. I'm a, I'm really am a, a, you know, strategic coach from top down. I'm really more of a success coach than anything else. Once they become clients and they see about the vision, the vision infrastructure process method, they understand that probably the one that I have to battle with them a lot is their vision and challenging them on their vision for um, clarity and, um, and, and really depth that has nothing to do with their business. You know, there's, there's, I've had a coaching client now for, um, four or five months. And just now as I've poked and prodded and, you know, sometimes challenged and sometimes back away and other times, but just now he's starting to form a vision that has nothing to do with his business. And it takes time. And this is when even in this guy was like, no, 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 I'm good on my vision. I'm good on my vision. I just need to know how. And then he tells me all these other things. And of course, now having the humility to step back and look at it and go, yeah, I remember this guy. This was me 12 years ago, right? And knowing now how to speak to him in yeah. ways that he's open to, now, now I know how to say, okay, 
now I, you know, I'm going to challenge you a little bit on your vision here. And he can, well, yeah, maybe, maybe it isn't, you know, about, you know, having 3000 clients that are going to pay me $10,000 a month, you know, like maybe it's, that's not what that, what it's all about. Um, okay, so let's get a little bit more defined in terms of what it is you're doing this for in the first place. That's almost always the constant battle that I have is people and getting really super clear in their vision. So what are some of your, I don't know what the word is. I, I feel like tips and tricks cheapens it because that's not the, uh, the right way to say it. But what are some of your like encouragements for helping people clarify their vision? The, so I look at it from, you know, three basic ways. You know, I, like you, I feel like the, um, you know, the mind, body and, and spirit, I think that you have to look at it from that, from those perspectives. Some people are definitely more organized, you know, or, or more mindful about their bodies. Some people are more mindful about their thoughts and their, and their feelings. Some people are definitely more spiritual or in the, the soul part of their, of their, um, of their, of their bodies. But I think that it has to have, um, you have to have all three of those all at the same time. You can't, it's like three legs of a stool. Yeah. So, um, you know, people know that I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm a, I have, I have a strong faith. I'm not shy about that. That's what I'm about. Um, generally people who aren't, you know, they're not, I'm not like shoving it down their throat, but I feel like that's got to be a component to it because I feel like, I don't know how else I would coach you. I feel like I'd be an authentic to who I was, but Generally, what I would say is, you know, for the purpose of this, you know, for our, our time left together, the really the hard thing about this is that we're not allowing ourselves to dream. We're not allowing ourselves to be that nine or 10 year old boy or girl that sits and just daydreams about things anymore because life has just stacked too many things on that are not letting you, you know, that are just aren't letting you do it. That's not you're not allowed to dream anymore. It's like once you get to a certain age in your life, that's that stopped happening. So, you know, I think it really starts with gratitude. I think it really starts with having, you know, I, I keep a gratitude journal. I keep a, a journal of all my accomplishments, even if the accomplishments are small. If I've read a book and I read a lot of books, so that's not really the big accomplishment. But I do. I keep track of all these little micro accomplishments throughout the year because it helps build on that self-esteem, that, that self-worthiness. And all of a sudden I can start to say, you know what, if I can do that, I can surely do this. Right. So I think those little, little things really do make a difference where trying to extract your own vision can be difficult. You know, I'm happy to have a conversation with anybody to do that. I'm not trying to pitch me. Like, I'm just saying that that's something I'm happy to help people with because it's really that important. But have somebody that is that knows about vision. How do we help extract that from you so you can, you know, some people love to put together a vision board. That's not really my thing. I'm not a real visual person. I'm more of a kinesthetic type person. So for me, writing it down on a piece of paper and having it in front of me and rewriting it and recrafting it, that's how I, that, that's what's important for me. You know, having affirmations that I read into a recorder and read back to me is really, really important because. That's how I process information. That's going to help change my base program. So I think yeah. for most people, you know, getting clarity in their vision, I think what they need to recognize, it's more of an uncovering process than a constructing process. It's more of a discovering process than something that you have to build. 
that it's like yeah. going up into the attic of your mind, opening up the old chest and going, Hey, cool. I forgot this stuff was in here. Right. Because a lot of the stuff that you just covered up with years and years and years of living and life and stuff that you just, you know, decided were unimportant after so many years. Sorry, I disconnected for a second, but I think we're all good. Um, so the, uh, the thing that, that sticks out to me there is, um, like, in, in my own life, I really like the idea of exploring, like, uncovering your vision. Because um, that's the way I think about it in my life, is I like, I like the, uh, um, I think kinesthetic is probably the right word for it. But the way I, I do vision boards in my life is I like to actually go and do things, right? So, like, we're in the process of trying to, you know, after we're done with traveling, we want to go move on to a boat. Um, so we're, like, going to boat shows and getting on yachts. Um, and seeing what they look like and going out on day sails when we're close to, you know, the ocean. Um, cause it's like the next sort of step that we want to do is we're, we're, we're exploring it and playing with it, seeing how we like it. But I do that in a lot of areas where I'm like, like, I want to see what it's like to learn to play the piano or what it's like to like to learn calligraphy, um, yeah. or other things like that. And I just, I, I have to play with things to see what stuff sticks, right. What stuff I actually enjoy having in my life. That's not, um, that's not my business because the way I look at my business is my business is my enabler, right? It needs to enable my vision, um, whatever that is. Um, and you sort of have to explore and see what you want and what you want to get out of life and what you want to do with your wife and what you want to do with your kids and what kind of impact you want to leave. Um, and then you sort of work backwards from it, right? And when you find something that you want, then you can, it's, it's really easy to see, uh, yeah, you know, whether it's something small like, hey, you know, the business has discretionary income for this. I can move it into into my life that way. Or if it's a big thing, like buying a yacht, traveling the world, you know exactly what needs to happen. You're like, you have to have certain types of systems and processes to be able to operate. You're like, hey, if I need to do a, a two-week sale, how does my business operate when I'm not available for two weeks, right? And how many clients do I need to have to be able to pay all the bills? Right? You can work backwards from the things that you've done uh, or the things that you want to do. Anyways, I think. I, I like that vision is the first step of your process because like, I don't know how you would build a business otherwise. Like, cause, cause like, what are you, what are you building for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but you'll be amazed at how many people get into business focusing first on the tactics and on the operation. And, and I'm not here to knock, there's a lot of good gurus out there that teach some really, really good stuff. And I'm not here to knock them on that. Um, but they lead with tactics the only problem with that, and this is, I'm going to quote Sun Tzu here, but Sun Tzu said, strategy before tactics is the noise before defeat. And yeah. I really believe there's a ton of wisdom in that, that if you're yeah. focused solely on tactics, you know, I could teach you how to make, you know, say $10,000, you know, in the next 30 days, all you have to do is knock on 10,000 doors. You're like, I'm not doing that, <laughs> right? Like that tactic might work, you know, as a wholesaler or, you know, selling books door to door or whatever. But I mean, if you feel like you have to sell your soul to the devil to do it, is it worth it? And I'm not, I'm not willing to do that. Not, not give up all that time and give up all that, you know, that uh, shoe leather just to go knock on 10,000 doors. So when you're, when you're lead with tactics, you know, that tactic might not fit your skill set. It might not fit your risk tolerance. It might not fit what you even want to do, but yet, well, I'm going to make $10,000 in the next 30 days because that's what I'm, that's what I'm going to be doing. Even it doesn't matter that I have to give up sleep and time away from my family or whatever else it is. You know, 
it, you just have to determine if, if it's the cost. And I just, I think it's just a wrong approach. I think leading from the top down, uh, strategizing from the top down and setting it up from the top down is really the only way that makes sense. It's the only way that makes sense for me. Yeah, I completely agree. And now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now, back to the Hero Show. Which I think is a great transition into my next question, which is about your driving force, right? So the flip side of your common enemy is your driving force, right? Just like Batman fights to save Gotham or, you know, Spider-Man fights to save New York or Gotham fight, or sorry, Google fights to, you know, index and categorize all the world's information. What is it that you fight for in your business? What's the, uh, the mission, right. so to speak? Yeah, I, I think I mentioned it earlier, but I really do feel that, you know, what really gets me up and gets me going and gets me all fired up about these sorts of conversations is that the entrepreneur that's addicted to the hustle. And I think we all know what the hustle looks like. It's, you know, get up, you know, 4.30 a.m., take a shower, take selfie of, you know, me on my way to work. Um, make sure social media and everybody knows about it, um, you know, in the office before six or, you know, whatever it is. And then, you know, doing this hustle lifestyle, which I did that. I did all those things. And not only is the hustle destructive, but it's addictive. And, and that lifestyle um, you know, that's what landed me in the hospital at 37 years old, you know, no doubt with, you know, pneumonia. And if it wouldn't have been pneumonia, it probably would have been a nervous breakdown. So I, I, I don't think that people recognize how damaging that really is and how addictive it is because now you're looking for the next adrenaline high of going from, you know, um, you know, from one packed day to another packed day. And just doing it day in and day out over and over and over until what, you know, to retire at 40, well, to retire at 40 for what? So you can have a triple bypass, you know, because you have no choice, you know, that doesn't make sense for me. So I think that's why I really feel that the, the, you know, like I said earlier is, you know, to help, you know, to help marriages, you know, that, that need saving and help, 
you know, uh, you know, so that the, 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 the marriages that need to, um, that need to be focused on and the, and the, uh, and so there's no more missed baseball games and missed karate, um, tests and all the things that happen, you know, through life that, like you said, how in the world do I have a middle schooler? Right. Well, it, it happens. And before you know it, you're going to have some teenagers around your house. And then before you know it, you're going to have, um, you know, they're going to be on their way to college. You're like, how in the world did all this happen? It happens day by day. And when you get too busy, focused on all the other things that are not really all that important, that's exactly how it happens. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'm here all the time. Like I'm home all the time with my kids and, you know, I only work four or five hours a day. Um, and I still feel like it's flying by super fast. And I look back to when I was working, you know, 10, 15, 20 hours a day sometimes and wonder like, what the hell was I doing? Because I still feel like it's flying by too fast. Um, but yeah, you have, you have to, uh, you have to understand what's important. Um, so I, I love it. I love that. That's what you're you're working on doing. And I like, I like the mentality that you're like, Hey, I, I coach and I teach and I work in real estate. Um, but really it fits in anything, right? It fits in any business that you're working on. Um, so I'm going to skip a couple of my questions here and ask you about your guiding principles, right? So one of the few things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. Um, for instance, uh, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we get near the end of the interview here, I want to talk about the top one, maybe two principles you live by in your life. Um, maybe something you wish you knew when you first started out as an entrepreneur out of college. Um, that's a really good question. I, I feel like, um, if I was going to, if I was going to have a conversation with myself at that point in time, I wish I would have learned to place a higher value on my free time. Because what I recognize is, and I sign off on my own show this way, where, you know, if you don't place a value on your free time, someone else will. And I never recognized how little someone is going to, is going to acknowledge what your time is worth. They're, they're fine to put a value on their time, but they're going to put a a very low value on yours. So I, I wish that I had done that and been much more intentional for me, that's very much a guiding principle in terms of everything that I do. And if I'm spending too many hours doing things that are not in my highest and best use of my time, that are not really focusing in on my core genius, then um, then I really need to start looking at whether those whether I need to keep doing those activities or not, or you know either eliminating them, automating them, or uh, you know delegating them to someone else. But um, that's really, and that's been much more of my focus lately. And, and also really is, is a continual and almost obsession with learning. And because growth is a big thing for me, being in contribution is important to me. Those are definitely my driving forces in terms of, you know, growth and contribution. They both kind of compete for one and two in, in order of syntax, but that that has definitely been helpful for me and being humble enough to be willing to learn and um and being able to show up the way that i need to show up for people when i'm sharing that information not that i'm the one with the answer but showing them in a way that 
hey, you know what? I screwed this all up. Let me tell you, all I can tell you is what, the way I did it. And it's amazing when people, when you show up to people that way and go, hey, can I show you the way that I screwed it all up? And they're like, oh, absolutely. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. and then, but if you, if you show up like, hey, I've got the answer, they're, they're so shutting you down before you even have the opportunity. But when you show up like, hey, can I show you a way this made me look like an idiot? They're like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, man, all I can do is just show you what's worked for me and what's not worked for me. And that seems to be, you know, because I've got enough of a, you know, kind of that self-worthiness demon at bay where now I can say it and now I don't care. You know, I don't, I don't, I can't say I don't care. I don't care as much where I'm not putting, I'm not tying my worthiness to their potential, what I think their thought of me might be. Yeah. So, so those are, yeah, those are probably my guiding principles. I know um, I, I definitely me. need like my, I still struggle with the whole valuing my own time thing. And the problem I have is I'm, I, my superpower is in like seeing the systems behind things, which allows me to collect skills really quickly. Um, and then I find that like I've collected skills and then realize that then start using them. Um, and then I, I, I end up doing work that I shouldn't be doing. Right. Work that I should be hiring out to other people because it's not the highest and best use of my time just because I can. Right. Cause I could, I could pick it up and learn it really quickly. Doesn't mean I should right. be doing that. Um, cause that's not, that's not really, um, I don't know how to phrase it. It's not CEO level work, if that makes sense. Um, and so yeah exactly it's just it's just not it's not you're you're costing yourself money in opportunity costs because you're doing something that you can pay someone else less money yeah. to do yeah you know so if you're worth two or three hundred dollars an hour and you're doing twelve dollar an hour work you know you're costing yourself you know 188 dollars an hour or 288 dollars an hour i mean and that's really hard to get your get yeah. your head around and even though it's like, well, I'll just go ahead and, you know, I'll just go ahead and clean that apartment. I'll go ahead and take this phone call. I'll go ahead and insert myself. And, you know, no, man, you're, this is why you're costing yourself money and you're costing yourself time that you're never going to yeah, and, and more than so that, on, that's, on a that's larger scale of your business, that. you are restricting its scale and its ability to impact um, because you're becoming a bottleneck that you don't need to be. Yeah. Um, and I know I still like to this day, I'm like, here I am doing something because I, like, I find the process fascinating of learning things and doing things and learning those new skills. Um, and I, I almost, I almost have become a, uh, we might call it a skill hoarder, <laughs> right? Um, and so that's, that's one of, one of my yeah. struggles is learning how to, um, how to sort of, I don't know, maybe moderate, um, my own sort of like desire to collect skills and learn things and do all that stuff because it's fascinating i like that it's enjoyable um and but and you know knowing how to separate yeah. so like i yeah. one of the ways that i work on that is like i try to i try to move that into my personal life where i'm like i'm working on things in my personal life that i find fun and enjoyable like at the moment i am rebuilding all of the cabinetry in my house because i wanted to learn how to do woodworking um uh, it's like I could hire someone to do that, and it would be perfectly legitimate. Oh my. Okay. Um, but it's also like it's not any of my business time. It's just stuff that I'm doing with myself and teaching my son a little bit how to use the power tools and like learning all the all the processes and those kind of things. I find that fascinating. It's worth it to me to do that. Yeah, but I have yeah, to yeah. not do that in my business, if that makes sense, right? <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I went and, I went and flipped the house. 
with our older, with, you know, with our sons and, you know, and, and it was really kind of one of the things too. And it was also kind of like when my wife and I were reconciling and that definitely helped a lot of things too. Um, but you know, when I, I, I told my son, my oldest son, we were changing the battery on the lawnmower and I said, go bring me a pair of ice grips and a, and a, um, adjustable wrench. And he came back with like, you know, uh, a hammer and a stapler. And I was like, I am so failing you as a dad right now, <laughs> you know, like he had no clue what these tools were. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So we went and started working on the house a little bit and started showing him what tools were. And yeah, he, he definitely, <laughs> he, he de it was good though. It was good for all of us. And, and we had a good time. We didn't make a whole lot of money on the house, which was fine. It wasn't the point of it. The point of it was, you know, to have that time together and, and, uh, yeah. and it was good. I'm very, very grateful for that time that we spent. Yeah. I, uh, I just, just the other day I had my son taking off the old cabinets and I was like, I'm going to show you how to use the drill, son. <laughs> anyway, it's the whole thing. Watching him unscrew a cabinet was probably one of the funniest things I've ever had him do. Um, cause I mean, you know, like as an adult, unscrewing right. a cabinet is not that complicated with a drill, but it was really funny like, cause I didn't, I didn't do anything for him. I just no. like sort of explained to him. I was like, here's the drill. Here's how you change the bit. And I just, I didn't show him. I just told him how to do it because he's an auditory learner. And it was, uh, it was really funny. Um, so anyways, I, you know, it's fun yeah. things to do with your kids. Um, but anyways, that's how I sort of, that's how I work on moderating that principle in my life where I'm like, I like to do things and collect new skills and whatnot, but I have to, I have to be more, and like, I still struggle with it. So I have to be more militant about like, you know, I, we do a lot of web development and I find new stuff and I'm like, oh, I want to test this and play with it. And I'll spend six hours playing with something and I'm like, I should just hire a developer to do that <laughs> because they are, there's, they're many of them and they charge yeah. a lot less money than yeah. I do. <laughs> so I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So anyways, I think that's basically a wrap on our interview, but I do finish all of our interviews with a simple challenge. I call it the hero's challenge. And it's basically a way to find access okay. to stories that I might not get on my own. Cause not everyone is out looking to get on interviews like you and I might be doing. Um, so the question is this, do you have someone in your life or in your network who you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story with us here on the hero show? The first person that comes to mind for you. Oh man. Um, I, I do. And I'm not sure she would make, she would come on the show, but it's, it's really somebody who has been kind of what she adopted me as her mentor. And it was really interesting because she, um, you know, and she'll tell everybody that he's my mentor. And I'm like, I, I, you know, we've never exchanged money on this, but she just assumed that I was her mentor and all these and, and these different things. It's, it's interesting because she's got such a deep and strong faith. Um, but I love, I love one of the things that I love about her is she has such a deep and strong faith. And that's the first thing that's always about where she's about in her, in her mind. But she's also was, she was actually, um, she's edited all my books. Um, the first one she did as a um, kind of just, you know, as a uh, proofreader, and then the second and third book, she was actually the full editor. And, um, and she's got a really, really good ability to help construct sentences and using passive voice versus not passive voice. I don't really, I'm still not sure that I understand that, but she, you know, she was teaching me a lot of that stuff, but it was really interesting because she would be the kind of person that you would definitely want on payroll. But I think she, at this point, she's just unemployable <laughs> because, you know, she does a lot of ghost writing for people. She does a lot of that stuff. 
but I really am just amazed at the type of person that she's developed, even though, um, you know, she's always in awe of me and she sends me lots of referrals and things of like that. And I'm just, I'm very humbled because she is just a, uh, her name's Robin. And, uh, I'm just very humbled by her. She's, she's an amazing human being. Um, you know, she's the first person that came to mind because I, I, I probably, because I owe her a phone call and I've been thinking about her for the last couple of weeks. And maybe this is the time where I just need to stop and pick up the phone and say, Hey, I've been thinking of you friend. How are you? <laughs> But um, that, I, I, one thing that I just love about her so much is that she's just unapologetic in her faith. She's just, that's what she is and that's what she, that's who she is. But she's also very quick to embrace her gifts that, that she's been given. So, and I really appreciate that. And she's been, uh, she's been a big driving force in my life. <laughs> so um, what we'll do is, after uh, after this, I'll reach out to you and see if we can get an introduction to Robin um, and get her to come on the show. She may not say yes, but if she does, we get some of our coolest sure. stories that way. Um, so we appreciate I'm, that. I'm happy. To. Um, yeah, I'm happy. In, to. Uh, in comic books, at the end, there's always the crowd of people who are cheering and clapping for the acts of heroism, right? So our, our analogous to that on this show is I want to know where can people find you? Where can they light up the bat signal and say, hey, you know what, Mark, I would really love to get your help um, in, in my life or my business. And I think more important than where is who are the right types of people to reach out and actually light up the bat signal and say, I'd, I need your help. Yeah, it's a great question. Thanks for asking that. I, um, I really like working with entrepreneurs of all kinds, you know, especially small business owners, people who are time weary, people who don't are, feel like they're have lost all control of their calendar. Um, you know, they can reach out to me in a number of different ways. I'm on, you know, social media, Mark Dolfini, you know, you can reach out to me, you can, you know, send me a message, send me a friend request at landlordcoach.com. Um, you can even drop me an email at mark at landlordcoach.com, any number of ways. Um, and I'll give you a free coaching session. It's not a sales pitch, you know, or anything along those lines. Um, happy to have conversations with people, help you with your vision, um, you know, give you, uh, you know, let you know what a little bit what I'm about. And, and, and I don't look to charge for that generally plan for anywhere from an hour to 90 minutes. And, I'm happy to help anybody any way that I can. Awesome. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Mark. It's been fascinating getting to talk to you and hear your story and hear what it is that you do. I really appreciate your time. Um, and I appreciate the work that you do um, for, for the people because it's, it's, you do one of those things that's, it's a, it's a ripple effect, right? You, you impact people who impact people. Um, so again, I appreciate that. And I know we need more, you know, heroes like you out there doing the work that you do. So uh, again, thank you. And then, um, do you have any uh, final words of wisdom for our audience before we hit this uh, stop record button? No, but thank you so much, Richard, for the platform. I really do appreciate it. Maybe we'll we'll bump kayaks sometime out in the whatever whatever uh, you know common. Well, well, maybe you'll maybe you'll go into the. Uh, well, we'll have to figure out a spot where we can meet in Indiana <laughs> with our with our kayaks. Cool. So, but. Uh, one of the, I would just probably finish it up with, um, you know, if you don't place a value on your free time, someone else will. But most important, if you don't, um, you, know, uh, you know, make sure you're placing a value on your free time. That's basically Awesome. It. Thank you so much for being here today, Mark.